0: All right, will you please take your Bibles this morning and open them with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. We'll begin reading at verse number 1. For a little over a year now, we have been looking at the life of Jesus from the perspective of the gospel of Mark. And this morning, we start that final journey through the very last few hours of his life. This passage picks up at about 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning of crucifixion day. Mark 15, beginning at verse number 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21. They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative and sufficient word of the living God. Let us pray together. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. Lord, it is otherworldly. It's from a different place. It is true. (laughs) It is the truth of truths. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit now come and take it. Use it in a special way to transform our lives, to bring our lives into conformity to the holiness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. When we read the Bible, it is important that we notice things like specific words, phrases, or even repetition. And in the verses that we read this morning, you may have noticed the repetition of one particular phrase, King of the Jews. It shows up four times in our passage and six times in Mark 15 altogether. This is the way the religious leaders, this charge of the King of the Jews, this is how they're going to set Jesus at odds with Rome. Because Rome really couldn't care less about their particular theological differences with Jesus. But if this man thinks that he is the true king of the Jews, then that's a problem because only Caesar reigns supreme over all, not any particular self-proclaimed king of the Jews. But this is not the first time that Jesus has been called the king of the Jews, is it? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of The Jews, for we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So at his birth, and now at his death, some 33 to possibly 37 years later, Jesus is called the king of the Jews. But nothing about his life was very kingly, was it? Born in poverty, a simple carpenter by trade, and now a Jewish rabbi betrayed and abandoned by his followers, he stands trial before a Roman governor named Pilate. That's not the resume of a king. and He certainly wasn't the king the Jews expected or the one they wanted. He wasn't a king who would deliver them from the oppression of Rome because instead of delivering them from Rome, he would actually die at the hands of Rome. Jesus was a suffering king. And this morning we need to see him as the king who stood condemned in our place before Pilate so that we might stand justified before God. And so let's look together at this king's suffering in these verses. And first of all, note that Jesus is confronted by a self-serving politician. Verse 1, As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes, the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. So the Sanhedrin, which we, we went through their trial last, Lord's Day, last week, they've already arrested Jesus. They, they convened a, a sham nighttime trial to convict him of blasphemy for claiming to be the Son of God. They condemned him to death. But you see, they did not have the authority to actually execute him. Only the Roman government could do that. So they reconvened early in the morning, 5 a.m., 4.30 even possibly, at first dawn, to draw up official charges against Jesus and then take him to Pilate, the Roman governor, for a civil trial in which he could be executed. They wanted him dead. They brought him to Pilate. There is much that we know about Pontius Pilate, even from historical sources beyond the New Testament. He was a pragmatic, he was a self-serving, and even brutal governor over Judea from 26 to 36 A.D. So this is within the time frame of Jesus' ministry and crucifixion. And here he presides over the trial that led to the death of Christ. verse 2, Mark writes, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, You have said so. (laughs) And the chief priest, verse 3, accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. Are you not going to respond to them? Pilate says. Are you not going to respond to me? Verse 5, but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. I want us to consider for a moment this morning the gravitas of this scene here in Mark 15. Here is Pilate, Pontius Pilate, a finite creature, a wicked man, standing before the sovereign creator of the universe, asking him, Are you the king of the Jews? What blind arrogance fills the sight of Pontius Pilate? You see, he believed that he held the life of Jesus in his hands, didn't he? When in reality, it was the other way way around. And, And Pilate is amazed that Jesus will hardly even respond to him. In John's account, in John 19 verse 10, Pilate says this, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? And then in this display of clear self-awareness as the divine Son, Jesus responds to Pilate in John 19 verse 11, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. In other words, the only way that you can kill me is if my Father in heaven allows you to kill me. You see, Jesus knew exactly who He was and what He came to do. And friends, He did not go into this trial before Pilate to win it. He went to stand condemned in our place, and be sentenced to the death that we deserve. That's what he did before Pilate. That's why he was so silent. Secondly, in this passage, we see that Jesus is not only confronted by Pilate, but he's also rejected by an easily swayed, crowd so he's got a self-serving politician judging him <laughs> and an easily swayed crowd calling out for his death verse 6 now at the feast he that that he there refers to Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection there's a historical context to that we won't get into but there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. So Pilate, who did not normally reside in Jerusalem, he was there to keep the large crowds during Passover, because that's that's where we're at. Remember the context. We're, in, we're at, during Passover week. He's there to keep control over the large crowds. And it was his custom to release a prisoner during the feast, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Some commentators have called this Passover clemency. And Pilate likely did this to gain favor with the people. And he is a smart man. He is a shrewd politician. He knows that Jesus is not actually guilty of any real crime, at least in his eyes. Certainly not one deserving of death. And he sees this Passover clemency as an opportunity to release Jesus. And so we asked the crowd in verse number 9, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy or jealousy that the chief priest had delivered him up. See, Pilate sees through the false motives of the religious leaders, and then he asks the crowd if they want Jesus released. But then the next verse, verse 11, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd. to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? What do you want me to do with this man? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? What is he guilty of exactly? But they shouted, Mark says, all the more. Crucify him. Over the years, there have been many observations made about this crowd, hasn't, haven't there? This crowd that cried out, crucify him. Perhaps you've heard that the same crowd who ushered Jesus in to Jerusalem like a messianic king on Sunday was now calling for his crucifixion on Friday. I actually used to think that myself, but not so much anymore. The crowd who followed Jesus into Jerusalem on Sunday, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, were likely Galileans. They knew Jesus. They experienced the greater part of His ministry. But the crowd here on Friday, just a few days later, who shouted, Crucify Him, was likely made up mostly of Judeans to the south. This is why these maps in your Bible actually are important. (laughs) They knew Jesus to a lesser extent, a much lesser extent, than the Galileans to the north. And this crowd here in Jerusalem during Passover was now coached by the chief priest. And they asked for Barabbas, who was a murderous insurrectionist, to be released and for Jesus to be crucified. And Pilate the self-serving pragmatist, conceded. Verse 15 says, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And friends, what we see here in the unfolding of these events is the great danger of following popular opinion. This crowd was influenced by lying priests, and though Pilate was reluctant to condemn Jesus, he ultimately did what was politically expedient for him. And friends, the Jews have never outlived the voice of this crowd, even to this day. The words, crucify them, still haunt Israel and have echoed over 2,000 years of history. In the preaching of the book of Acts, we repeatedly see the responsibility for the death of Jesus put squarely on the Jews and their religious leaders as the ones who delivered Jesus over to Rome. And all throughout church history, much, much anti-Semitic rhetoric and, and even prejudice has been linked to what this crowd did that day. They rejected the Son of God and true King of the Jews in favor of a murderer. You see, Barabbas was the kind of revolutionary leader that they wanted, one who would rebel against Roman tyranny and being easily swayed by the envious and deceptive religious leaders they wanted to see Jesus executed. But what about us this morning? We are a long way removed from this day in Jerusalem, aren't we? But not so much. (laughs) Will we allow what we believe about Jesus To be influenced by popular opinion? Or will we stand for Christ no matter what the cost? Like our brother here that we prayed for in Ukraine. Will we follow the crowd or will will we stand for Christ no matter the cost? Maybe you'll lose popularity at school. Or a promotion at work. Or maybe it will cause tension with family members who reject Christ. But no matter what, you will not join the chorus that cries out, crucify him. You will not join those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the question that this crowd presses upon us this morning. So far in this passage, Jesus has been confronted by a self-serving politician. He has been rejected by an easily swayed crowd. And now lastly, Jesus is abused by sadistic soldiers. He's abused by sadistic soldiers. Beginning at the middle of verse 15, Mark says this, Having scourged Jesus... Pilate delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, your translation may say something, the praetorium, I I don't know. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. They began to salute him. Hail the king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, spitting on him. Oh, so much of Isaiah 53 is being fulfilled, even as we read Mark 15. Kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, They stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And this is where we see the violence of Jesus reach its sadistic climax. Listen to one New Testament scholar's description of the brutality of this Roman scourging. He says, A severe flogging normally preceded crucifixion, but it was often administered along the way or even after the condemned was fastened to the cross. The condemned would be stripped and often tied to a post. Soldiers would use flagella, leather whips with iron or bone woven into their thongs that left skin hanging from the back in bloody strips. This was sadistic brutality. And the Romans had perfected it. They were experts in execution. After Jesus was ripped open by this scourging, this flogging, this beating, the Roman soldiers abused him in the most demented Way they smashed a crown of thorns on his head, dressing him in royal purple like a king, spitting on him, and finally bowing down before him in sick mockery. And the irony throughout this passage is thick. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Pilate has no authority over him. He came to save the very people who were crying out, Crucify him. And the soldiers who bowed before him in mockery will one day bow before him and confess him as Lord. But after this perverted, sadistic, mocking abuse, the Son of God, think about this, the eternal Son of God incarnate in Christ Jesus was too weak to carry His own cross. And so the Romans conscripted a man who just happened to be passing by to carry it for him. Verse 21, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Friends, Jesus is the suffering king. He's the suffering king. And there are a lot of characters in this passage, aren't there? A lot of players in this scene. And I wonder which ones might we identify best with this morning? Are we like Pilate, who used Jesus to pragmatically serve our own interest, to pursue our own agenda, to do what's best for us? Are we like the crowd? Easily swayed by deceptive people <laughs> to turn on Christ? Are we like the self righteous chief priest? Are we like the soldiers who just pretend to worship Jesus? Got any pretenders in here this morning? Perhaps there is a little of each of them in each of us. But friends, if we really want to see ourselves in this passage, then we must look no further than Barabbas. The guilty sinner who goes free while the righteous son stands condemned. We are Barabbas. And oh, what mercy has been shown to us here that we might, by faith in our suffering King, in this suffering King, become sinners saved by grace and grace alone. And his hymn, Man of Sorrows, uh, hymn writer P.P. Bliss, writes this, you know, you know this hymn, we sing it here often. Man of sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned He stood. Sealed my pardon with His blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement. How can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Friends, this is the gospel of our suffering King. Believe it and trust in Christ today. Let's pray.